Hello. And welcome to Pop Tarts. Me, 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 me. Lord, give me the confidence of a mediocre white man. Gog me. I think vocal fry is imaginary. Tire implant in your butt and your and then you die. Thank you, podcasting. I'm Emily Rems. I'm Callie Watts. We are both editors at Bust Magazine in Brooklyn, New York. We love talking to each other about pop culture. We love talking to you about pop culture. And today we're going to get more meta than we've ever gotten before. We are going to make a podcast about making (laughs) a podcast. Wrap your minds around that, people. But seriously, have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Well, yeah, when we did. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, our listeners. Listeners, have you ever thought of starting your own podcast? You know that we have because we've been making our dream a reality for over two years, but it is not always easy, which is why today's guest, Kristen Meinzer, is here today to show us all the ropes. You might recognize her sweet, dulcet Midwestern tones from our (laughs) very, very popular episode on self-help celebs, one of the best most listened to podcasts of Pop-Tarts ever. And uh, now she's back to discuss her new book, So You Want to Start a Podcast, Finding Your Voice, Telling Your Story, and Building a Community That Will Listen. Not only is Kristen a friend of Bust and a true expert on this subject, but she is also the very woman responsible for first getting me into broadcasting by inviting me onto the WNYC show The Takeaway as an occasional guest commentator way back in 2010. I am delighted to have her back on the show. Welcome, Kristen! Yay! Oh my gosh, I am so excited to be here. What a fabulous introduction. And I just have to say, I am so thrilled that Emily, Callie, that you guys are still doing this two years later. And that, Emily, I can't believe we have now like worked together and known each other and been friends for almost a decade. It's amazing! It's amazing. <laughs> I love it. Welcome back. Thank you. I'm so excited. When it comes to podcasting, Kristen, you are an undisputed boss bitch. Everyone knows it. Your hosting credits include the hugely popular shows By the Book and When Meghan Met Harry. That's the show about Prince Harry and Meghan Markle that got so big. I saw you on TV reporting on the (laughs) royal wedding from London. Yes, I was at the wedding itself. It was fantastic. And guess where I was right before here? Where? I was in another royal wedding special. I'm in no. specials all the time uh, that have to do with Megan, that have to do with Harry, that have to do with baby Archie. And that's all thanks to that podcast. What do you think podcast. about the supposed beef between the royal couples? Well, I think most people believe it's between the brothers, not the sisters-in-law. Interesting. Uh-huh. Yes. That's what I like to hear. Yes, but I, I you not know, cat, the press loves to pit women against women. They like nothing more mm-hmm. than women who are getting into cat fights. But I don't think it's about them. I think they like each other just fine. I don't think they're best friends because they're sisters-in-law. They're, right. You know, yeah. But I think they like each other just fine. And I love that your podcast that, was, that you launched just because you're truly passionate about this uh, royal romance has launched you into the stratosphere of royal reporting. Yes, and I'm thrilled about that too. And that's one of the things I love so much about podcasting actually is that podcasting can take you in so many directions. It can take you in a place where you feel more emotionally honest because you get more used to telling your own story. It can take you um, from just loving the royals to being on TV shows talking about the royals. It can take you to a place where you're just very good at collaborating with a friend like you two are in a whole new way. There are so many places you can go with podcasting, and some of them are monetary, some of them have to do with recognition, but so many things that I love about podcasting really just have to do with owning our voices, recognizing that our stories are worthwhile, and really just being who we are. We don't have to imitate Ira Glass. We don't have to be anybody other than ourselves. And we're beautiful and our voices matter. But speaking of NPR royalty, <laughs> um, as I said before, I met you when you were working on public radio. Yes. And that was a very fancy affair. Um, tell us about your journey to podcasting from radio and how do, do the two mediums compare? Yeah, they're very different, but 
a lot of podcasting nowadays is really informed by public radio because some of the most famous popular public radio shows became podcasts early on, like This American Life and Radio Lab and so on. So for a lot of people, their introduction to podcasting was really just listening to public radio shows that were then released uh, as audio on demand. Anytime we want to hear about, anytime we want to hear a show that is just already on the radio. And of course that expanded into more and more people creating shows. And I was one of the people who 10 years ago was making a show for WNYC. And I feel very lucky because when WNYC hired me, I was hired to be a culture producer on a hard news show, which is how Emily, you and I met because I just thought you seemed like a great person to be on the show every once in a while to talk about major cultural events through a feminist lens, which I think is very important to do. And so um, I was there as a producer. I was booking great guests like Emily. I was coming up with story ideas. But then the show said, go ahead and host a podcast. One of our contributors, Rafer Guzman, wants to host a podcast. Rafer asked me if I'd help produce it. But then the higher power said they didn't want me to produce the podcast alone. They wanted me to produce it, edit it write it and host it with him <laughs> oh is that all Thrown is that right all? in yes um and mostly they just liked the dynamic we had and as both of you know when you are hosting a show with somebody else all sorts of things come alive that are different than if you're single hosting a show if you're right. a single host there's the chance that you could sound like you're lecturing. There's the chance that you could sound uh, flat. Whereas when you have a friend or somebody else that you like quite a bit who's hosting with you, there can be conflict. There can be humor. There can be people playing off of each other in ways that most people individually can't do unless they have multiple personalities. But it's just like, <laughs> you know, it, it just doesn't work the same and way. And I get nervous sometimes and Callie makes me relax. Yes. And I have to say, as somebody who has co-hosted all my shows, my co-hosts make me want to do a better job. I want to make them sound good. They want to make me sound good. But more importantly, they make me want to get the behind the scenes work done. The stuff that no listeners hear mm -hmm. from the booking guest to the writing scripts. I'm much more motivated to get that done. That's all the Emily. <laughs> <laughs> as you very cleverly state in your book, rumor has it that any group of more than two White Men Together is now called a podcast. Oh, I don't actually say that, but I have tweeted that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to misattribute it. it. Or retweeted it I know or it's come somehow but, my way from your way. Yes, but um, that's because right now the podcasting universe is still unfortunately disproportionately male heavy, white male heavy specifically. And there was a study that was done a few years ago by Quartz um, that found that two-thirds of podcasts have a male host and two thirds. Yes. Ugh. And I mean, also, uh, you know, it's been estimated by some people that there are up to 2 million podcasts right now. So that still leaves plenty of other podcasts for us to listen to that are not just white men hosting. But my theory about why that is, is partly because the media has always been very male heavy. The yeah. media has always trusted male voices over women's voices. The media has always said, let's find an expert. And they don't bother to look for a woman physicist, but the physicist that they saw quoted in some other media that happens to be a man. And on top of that, I think for the longest time, and I think this still continues, I think podcasting for a lot of people is seen as a technology sort of media. And that technology, we all know technology spaces are not very female friendly. Mm -hmm. Right. And both of you know, it's not that hard. The technology is the easy part. The hard part is really just building a community, telling great yeah. stories, uh, making a great show like you do. For you guys, that's probably easy. But the technology <laughs> is really the easy part. But there's also, I think, um, generally speaking, when you talk about that two-thirds, there's really um, a confidence gap that, mm, that right. it's... You know, there's that saying, like, Lord, give me the confidence of a mediocre white man. Yes, <laughs> like, there's yes. so... You know, it's just hard for some reason women are not socialized to believe that what they have to say is important and or interesting enough for other people to listen to. Whereas um, just the starting point of, oh, I have something to say that's worth hearing is a, a thought that will occur to men more frequently than to women. Yes. And then when women do speak, we're often either ignored or talked over or told that our voices are wrong. I mean, I'm somebody who in my early years of podcasting, 
I've heard all the time, she doesn't sound like a public radio person. She shouldn't be talking. Listen to her. She sounds all hokey there. She sounds like my grandma in North Dakota there. That's what she sounds like. I would hear things like that all the time. And all the vocal fry Oh, yes. And I don't believe vocal fry exists. I say in my book clearly that I think vocal fry is imaginary. I've listened to all the things that people say as examples of vocal fry, and I'm like, maybe I just cannot hear it. Because I have vocal fry, or maybe I don't. I don't fucking know what vocal fry is. I can't. I I think vocal fry exists. I mean, I'm saying that as someone who, when I went to college, um, and I don't think my college even does this anymore, but I went to Emerson College, and it was required that everyone at the time when I went back in the Stone Age had to take literally years of voice and articulation classes where they showed us exactly what vocal fry was and what it wasn't, but more directly i don't know if you notice that i have no regionalism in my accent usually unless i'm putting something on they pounded the regionalism out of every single one of us day after day that pounding is so the sad out i know i didn't have that much to begin with because i'm from westchester but um <laughs> westchester <laughs> but i mean there was a lot of amazing accents from all over the country in my class that were squeezed right out that's Um, sad I love accents I love accents also speaking of regionalisms I would be remiss if I didn't uh, bring up our audio engineer slash my life partner Logan Del Fuego who has the most adorable Southern California accent ever because he moved to this country from Puerto Rico as a child and he learned how to speak English by watching Bill and Ted's Excellent oh, adventure. Nice. And now he sounds like Keanu, and it is the fucking best, and I love it. Oh, I Keanu, love it. who is living his best He's life living right his best now. life. I love yeah. him. He is, he is a hero to us all. But I, I really do think that an accent is special, and unlike what you were taught, Emily, um, you know, mainstream media, public radio, NBC Nightly News, all of those kinds of places want you to not have an accent. They want you to not have an opinion. They want you to come off as a neutral presenter. Right. But that's what makes podcasting different because podcasters are not presenters. We're people. And mm. we're people who listeners feel a relationship with. And it's such a special gift to have a relationship with listeners. And part of that relationship is being more authentic and being more ourselves and admitting our foibles and our mistakes and talking about the funny things about our significant others. All these things, you're never going to hear somebody on the nightly news talk no. about those things and that's right that's why podcasts it's one of the many reasons why podcasts are so special to me as you mentioned there are literally what did you say two million podcasts out there right now yeah according to one Ooh. expert at google there is roughly two million right now with the market so saturated right now why would you write a book about people wanting to start a podcast why would you encourage this kind <laughs> yeah. of madness and how can women make a dent in this giant tsunami of of a male voice action? Well, I did it for a few reasons. One, because I want more women and people of color to feel encouraged to start podcasts. I don't want the space to be exclusively or uh, majority white men. I love white men. men. Yeah, I mean, I love white men. I'm married to one, but I don't want that to be all the voices because the rest of us have fantastic things to say too. We have things to say that are being overlooked by all those other voices. And I want people to make better podcasts. That's another reason why. I want to give people the tools to do it well. I think that if you Google how to podcast, there are a lot of gearheads, a lot of dudes fixating on what kind of microphone to buy, what kind of software to buy, all sorts of equipment questions. And I think that the gearheads are frequently just ignoring the more important aspects of podcasting, which are story structure. How do you introduce yourself? How do you get somebody to listen to the first five minutes of your show without turning it off? Because most people shut off podcasts in the first five minutes. I have to say, I was very proud of us when I was reading the book and you were talking about how you have to be welcoming in the first five minutes. You have to say who you are, who your co-host is, what your show is, what it's about, who you're interviewing. And I was like, oh, we do all that shit, (laughs) buddy. High five. Every damn time. You do do that. Proud of us. But Um, think of all the other shows out there that don't do that. That are too cool for school. Slide right in hot. Like either you know us or you don't, and they don't throw you a line. And here's another inside joke that you probably don't know, and I'm not going to explain it to you. Yeah. I want people to make good podcasts. I want them to be able to build communities around their shows and themselves and to be able to talk about things that aren't necessarily being talked about somewhere else. And I think about shows like 
Ear Hustle. That's created an awareness. Ear Hustle is recorded in a prison and incarcerated people make the show and talk about life in prison. Oh my and, God, that sounds so good. And it's beautiful. And in some ways it's anthropological. In some ways it's storytelling. In some ways it feels like a reality show. And in some ways it's personal meditation on what it is to be free. And it is a beautiful show. And got out and it was like... Erlon is out right now. Yes. That's um, amazing. Yes. And podcasts allow those kinds of stories to be told. It's not like you can go in there every day with a camera and do a reality show. Um, and there are a lot of other stories that are best told through podcasting, stories that are confessional, stories of people who, I you know, I know mommy bloggers get made fun of a lot, but there are a lot of isolated women who are doing the heavy work of trying to raise humans who get zero credit for what they do. Mm-hmm. And podcasting allows a space for them to also share their stories and to connect with other people in their community and to feel yeah. less alone. There are a lot of people who feel marginalized or who aren't part of our mainstream economic engines or who don't live around other people who look like them or identify with them. And podcasting gives them a way to feel seen and to feel less alone. And I want to help all those people. I just, again, I want to help them do it well. I don't want them to make crap shows. We have enough crap shows. I want people to make great shows. Uh huh. I feel, in my unbiased opinion, that we're making a great show. I think it's a great show. You are making a great show. We haven't broken through in a way that I would have liked. Like, we're not on the, the Apple podcast charts and not as many people as I would have liked know who we are yet I firmly believe that to know us is to love us I feel that way about the Pop-Tarts podcast I feel that way about Bust Magazine and so I want to know like how we can get the kind of fame and fortune that we so richly deserve (laughs) well first of all is fame and fortune really what you want because I think that I don't I want all the ear holes I don't need to get recognized on the street, but I want all the right. air holes. Yeah, I'm not trying to get recognized mm. on the street, but I do want people to listen to what we have to say. But what I say early on in my book is it's important to know why you're starting a podcast and who is it for. Mm-hmm. And I feel that if you know those two things, whatever you're measuring your success by mm. has to be informed by those two things. Mm-hmm. Why am I making this show and who is it for? Is it reaching the people you want to reach? Why are you making it in the first place? Is it to advertise the magazine? Is it to showcase how brilliant you are? Because it's definitely doing that. Um, So think think about the why and also think hard about who it's for and then go to those places where the people are that you're trying to reach. Go to them. They can't come to you because there aren't billboards that say your show name on it. Um, Most podcasts don't have billboards. That's just the way it is. Most podcasts don't have advertisements on TV. And so we have to find out where are people and how can we get to them. So figure out who you're trying to reach. Can we talk about money? I know it's so gauche. Yes. (laughs) So gauche to talk about money amongst friends. If someone is just starting out, how much should they reasonably expect to spend? What should they be spending those ducats on? And how can we monetize and hope to recoup that money back? I don't think monetizing should even be on the table when people are starting out, frankly. Mm -hmm. I really think that if you're getting into podcasting to get rich, you should probably do something else like plant roses and sell them in an airport instead. Because (laughs) I I just, I want to be very frank. Most podcasts do not make money. Mm -hmm. Most podcasts are not driven by I'm going to make money. Most podcasts stop producing after nine episodes. The nine? vast majority. Really? The majority stop after nine? The vast majority stop after nine. I'm shocked by And that. that is because it's more work than a lot of people realize. Mm-hmm. Both of you know the work that goes yes, into it. a lot of work. Yes. I highly encourage people to only make podcasts about subjects they're very passionate about anyway. So, for example, when I was making When Megan Met Harry... That was so easy. I already go to bed every night reading about why Meghan Markle is the best person alive. Oh my God. (laughs) Every night I read every article about her and why she's fantastic. Having your heart already in the subject matter. Both of you are such ride or die feminists. You guys are girl bosses. You are all the things that you would love to talk about. And so your heart is already in it. It is very easy to talk yeah, to Callie about true. pop culture. I mean, we do it every day, so we just moved it to a different time slot in our day. <laughs> yeah, now it's just hard to not talk to her about things that I know I want to exactly. talk to her about on the mic to keep it fresh. 
during the day. But you, I think you're going to be episode 63. So that's got to say something about yeah, I can't believe that's dedication. Dictuitiveness. Yes. So as the woman who literally wrote the book on <laughs> podcasting, is it I true that yours is the only book so far? Well, it is the only one that fully explores the craft of podcasting. There are other books out there that talk about buying the boom mic. Buying the boom mic. There are other <laughs> books out there that talk about how can I get rich podcasting. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. There are a lot of books about um, how do I make my podcast number one? How do I hack the charts? How do I hack this? Oh, how do I hack that? Pyramid schemers out there <laughs> creeping. But as far as the actual craft of great storytelling through podcasting, my team looked and looked and looked. They did tons of research. And by my team, I mean like my agent, uh, William Morrow, other people I talked with. They did so much research to find out because they initially said, aren't books like this a dime a dozen? And then once they looked, they didn't find any books like mine. So they're amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So as I said, as the woman who wrote the book on the subject, what in your mind are the best of the best podcasts? What should we be using as the examples to follow? So I have a confession to both of you. Okay. I only listen to podcasts with women hosts. So that's going to just, I'm going to be just right upfront about that. I want you to know like later on if there's a question like, hold on, why didn't you name that one or that one? Um, I believe that I hear enough male voices in my day when I turn on the TV, 82% of speaking roles in movies, all the faces on my money, uh, everybody who is running every Fortune 500 company in America. Work. I hear male voices all the time. Mm-hmm. And one of the only corners of my life where I have control that I feel good about turning on exclusively female voices is in podcasting. Now, I'm not saying I never listen to male podcast hosts at all. I do it for work. I do it for other reasons. But in my free time, uh-huh, when right. given the choice, my free time is for women's voices. So well, considering how much that. you do, how much work you do in podcasting, I'm impressed that you listen to podcasts in your free time at all. <laughs> I, would, I would imagine you doing anything but listening to podcasts. Well, sometimes when you're brushing your teeth in mm-hmm. the morning or, you know, sometimes just like listening to a podcast is nice during that. So, and I play my podcasts at 1.5 time. I don't play ah. them at regular time. Yes. Um, but because I'm talking about fun podcasts here, the ones I listen to are shows like What a Creep, which I'm a fan of. It's just two women hosts and they choose a different creep each episode to oh my deep God, dive into how horrible they are. A creep like Hitler or a creep? Oh, like Rupert Murdoch, oh, okay. like Piers Morgan. Weinstein. Uh, they they have all sorts of creeps and some of them are just hilariously horrible. I, I like a lot of um, failure types of shows. So there's a show called Spectacular Failure right now hosted by Lauren Ober. And each episode is a different company where it was a dream. This thing's going to happen. And in one episode, it's U-Haul. And the whole family does everything from undermine each other to murder accusations. <gasps> it's incredible. And wow, you hear how the whole God. you hear how the whole U-Haul empire went down. Uh, there's an episode about this whole funeral home empire going down. All the failures are such good fun. So spectacular failure I'm a big fan of. I also like the show called Nice Try, which is about people's dreams of creating a utopia. And the show visits different planned utopias and all of them are just horrible. Because people are trash. We can't help it. Yeah. There's no such thing as utopia. And that's the point they hit over and over again on that mm-hmm. show. Yeah. So those are some of the shows I've been listening to lately. I I would feel remiss if I had you here and didn't mention that to me, you are a hero of the Me Too movement. Oh, thank you. And what you did in this regard was very meaningful to me. And I'd like to talk about it on the mic for a moment. Yeah. So for those of you who do not know... In 2017, uh, writer Suki Kim wrote a piece for The Cut about sexual harassment that she experienced from NPR host John Hockenberry after she was a guest on his show, The Takeaway. The Takeaway was the show that Kristen recruited me for back in 2010 when I was a guest, and I had lovely experiences every time I went there. Uh, but that my, my case was not always the case with female guests on the show. Um, in that story that Suki Kim wrote, you came forward as well. Um, you were quoted on the record about 
like some inappropriate shit that you had experienced with him. You talked about how he was so happy that you booked a celebrity guest that he kissed you. Mm -hmm. You talked about several posts on social media he made where he was asking if you and your husband had herpes. Ha ha, that's so funny. Um, Suggested that you had a secret life as a dominatrix. He called you sex obsessed because you reviewed a movie that involved the porn industry and called you sex obsessed many times. Ha ha, that's so funny. Um, It was a gutsy move to speak out and to support someone else in her speaking out and to lend your voice to this effort to say like NPR isn't like all just like a liberal bastion of goodness. Like shit goes like there's a toxic culture of harassment happening there, just like it does in all kinds of liberal spaces. And it was a really gutsy move to go on the record in that story. And it had reverberations all over public radio. Um, the New York public radio president and CEO, Laura Walker, stepped down this year after I think it was like 26 years on the job, partially because um, obviously things needed to change in the power structure over there. And, you know, it's still such a big question when you're experiencing impropriety at work. Um, what are the benefits and drawbacks of speaking up? And I wonder, since this happened a couple of years ago now, and you're, you're distanced some of the way away from it, like I just remember seeing the whole thing come down and being like, holy shit, Kristen Meiser is a badass. She is like standing up for women everywhere. Like you've gotten to a point in your career where you can speak up. And I just thought it was brave and wonderful and amazing that you were lending your voice to someone else's efforts to shed light on this subject. Now that it's a couple years later, how do you feel about this decision and what advice do you have for women who are wondering if they should speak up? Well, first of all, it just, it, it makes me feel so good to know that that affected you positively, that I did that. Um, it really makes me feel, and in some ways I don't feel like I, deserve any celebration or accolades for doing that because the fact is I didn't actually speak up while I was still at WNYC. I spoke up more than a year after I left. I felt that if I spoke up while I was still there, I would have lost my job or evaporated because the other women I knew who did speak up about improprieties with the host did evaporate. And so the truly brave thing I think probably would have been, I speak up, I lose my job, I evaporate, and nobody ever hears from Kristen Meinzer again. And that's not what I did. I stuck it through. And then when the podcasting boom happened, which thank you podcasting, more and more production houses started popping up. We had Gimlet, we had Panoply, we had Stitcher, we had uh, a lot of other places that I could go. And it was only once I could extricate myself from the one game in town, because it used to just be that WNYC was the one game in town. Once I could extricate myself from that, then I spoke up. And I've done everything I can ever since to try and elevate women's voices and to be a voice for good and so on. But back then I didn't do it. And so I have mixed feelings about it. On the one hand, I know if I spoke up, I would have disappeared and nobody would have ever heard from me again. Um, So I would have been brave, but then I would have lost this platform I have now to help so many people with all my work I do. So it's kind I of a still mixed bag. think it was brave, though, because as you know, like audio is such a small world and everybody knows everybody. And it's mm-hmm. not yeah. it's not like um, you didn't encounter personal risk by going on the record, even though you weren't at WNYC anymore. That's true, too. It is a very small world. Mm-hmm. And what bridges people burn, people remember. Like, I mean, I, I may have burned bridges with some people by doing that and not even know it. Well, I do know I burned bridges with some people by doing that. But most of the people I burned bridges with. I just got to a point where it's like, I don't care. Yeah, fuck you. So if I burn that bridge with you, it's okay. There are enough other people who believe in me over here at Stitcher, at CNN, here at Bust. Other places where people say, I want you to talk on the microphone, even if a few other people don't. Yeah. And what has the feedback generally been for you? Have you heard from a lot of women who feel empowered by what you did? Like, did you get some troll action? I got a tiny bit of troll action, but it turned out that one of the trolls I was hearing from loudest and clearest was actually um, married at one point to one of the people who was a higher up at WNYC. Mm. And so when I did more diving into like, who are these trolls? 
some of them I think were a little too close to the problem people. Story checks out. Yeah. You know? Um, but yeah, some people have reached out to me and a lot of former coworkers have said, Hey, I had to deal with creepy stuff too. I just thought I was alone. Um, I didn't realize he was doing it to other people the whole time. I just thought, why me? And, and that made me feel bad in a lot of ways. Cause I thought, Oh man, if all of us knew what the other ones were going through at the right. time. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, I don't think anyone would have listened to us. John Hockenberry was the highest play. He was the highest paid host at the entire station. Mm-hmm. He yeah. was considered such a star there that again, anyone who spoke up evaporated. So I didn't really, it, it's that mixed emotion that I feel sometimes I wish I would have spoken up then but I spoke up when I could that Mm -hmm. felt good to me and felt safe for me and maintained my ability to still speak today do you have advice for women who are weighing that decision of whether or not to speak up yeah I mean it's totally okay to preserve your financial stability like I did. I mean, one of the reasons I didn't speak up, when I say evaporate, it's not just because, oh no, nobody will know who I am anymore. Kristen Meinzer will have to work retail. It's It wasn't that. It also meant, you know, I don't have living parents. I don't have money. Back then I right. wasn't married. And if you take away my whole financial life, that's also a consideration I was yeah, taking very seriously. Definitely. Yes. And can I change fields at this point? But if you can keep track of things that are being done to you, document them. Um, talk to your HR people, but keep in mind that HR is there to defend the company and not to defend the employees. Right. Um, so keep that in mind. And then also um, speak up if you can, but also know if there are other places for you to land. I mean, once, like I said, once I left WNYC and moved to another company when the podcast boom happened and I secured myself there, it was much safer for me to speak up. Right. When I, I was, uh, somebody tried to attack me in our office elevator a couple of years ago, oh, God. before we moved here. Sorry. And the cop that was on the case lifted my number off of the police report and asked me on a date. And then oh, one of the our, cop. Jesus. one of our coworkers Ugh. used to be a private investigator. She did a little digging, found out he was married. So I called him on it, you know, and I saved all the texts and all Good. the, all of that. Good. But will I ever report him? It's a fucking cop. Right. It's tough. So then I know that he's probably does this to other victims because they're he's trying to take advantage of people while they're weak. But is it worth throwing my ass under the bus? Because then all the cop, if I ever get, you know, you don't want to be marked by a cop. I definitely didn't want to do it till the rapist was in jail. Oh, geez. could you imagine if that fucked the case up with a fucking guy that had, had physically tried to attack me? I mean, this guy is a creep, but there was levels. Ugh. So I laid low for a while. And then it's like, I've, have I waited too long? You know, there's so many things you think about with that kind of shit. Yeah, I the, don't think I have any obligation, but also I have a guilt. Yes, yes, and I definitely felt that. I did. I definitely felt that. Yeah. But I will say this about when I did speak up to Suki Kim and I told her everything, and as I waited for the article to come out, I was so nervous. I was so freaking out, and... I don't know what I was nervous about. I don't know if I was nervous that people would judge me or think I was stupid or why did I stay in the job that long or why are you only speaking up after more than a year after you left? I wasn't sure what would happen or if people would just say, it's not like he raped you, which some people did say mm-hmm. to me. Um, mm-hmm. Like, oh, whatever, he hit on you and harassed you, but like he, it could have been worse. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't sure what I was expecting would happen. But then I didn't make this up. Somebody else did. They said, when you speak up, it sometimes feels as though you're jumping off a cliff and then you realize there are a whole bunch of people there waiting to catch you all along. Oh, that's And that's cute. how I felt. Yeah. I'm so glad that you felt that way. Yeah. It really, it blew me away. I heard from people who knew me in college, in high school, people from jobs 20 years ago reached Aww. out to me and said, I'm so glad you did this. And People who had no idea of what I did these days, people who knew me from other states or other countries reached out to me. People who said that, I don't know if you remember, but I just worked with you for six months this many years ago and you trained me and it just makes me sad that you had to go through this. Sometimes people just wrote that. Yeah. It was really great. That's so sweet. I don't have to ask you if you're a feminist. We've talked about 
They're the worst. (laughs) I hate how they don't shave their legs. (laughs) (laughs) That's my favorite part. (laughs) I I actually don't shave my legs. Nor do I. Nor do I. Yay. (laughs) But you can if you would like to. If you would like to. We're a bunch of hairy bitches in here. But use a razor that's reusable, please. How has your feminism evolved in relation to your career? Oh, gosh. Well... It's funny because I, I don't think I ever hid my feminism in any of my work. Where did it come from? Do you remember being a little baby feminist? Um, I, I think that was in there to a certain extent. And I think there have been studies that show that women who have working mothers um, tend to feel a little bit more feminist, perhaps. They feel a little bit more um, sense of agency in their own lives. So I definitely had a working mom. Mm-hmm. And then um, I also... I think felt that women have to work harder and fend for themselves in some ways because my dad left my mom actually for another woman who was kind of friends with my mom also. And, Mm -hmm. um, and, and she was horrible and my dad was horrible. They were very, very horrible people. And my mom had to fend for herself in lots of ways. And her mom stepped in my Nana who just rest in peace. I love her so much. Um, but those two women had to work so hard for everything And so much of my modeling of what a woman is is somebody who has her own voice, her own sense of agency, and she works hard. And they didn't always do those things, but the best parts of them and the parts I admired the most in them did those things. And I wanted to do that too. And I'm already a marginalized person in certain ways. I'm not white. And especially living in the town I did in Minneapolis, or right outside of Minneapolis, I should say, my town was very, very white. And... So I think I already had a certain sense of identity around being somebody who isn't necessarily seen and maybe is underestimated in some ways. And so um, I guess as a little kid, I was a wee intersectional feminist and I just didn't know the words yet. (laughs) (laughs) And how has your feminism evolved as you've established yourself as a broadcaster? Mm, Well, I think... I have become more sneaky with it in some ways. (laughs) You know, when I was younger, I think that, you know, I I would just yell and moan about it. But the older I've gotten, the more I'm like, there are better ways to package this. Nobody wants broccoli. Nobody wants to be yelled at. I mean, I love broccoli in real life. It's like my favorite vegetable. But you know what I mean. I also love getting yelled at. (laughs) 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 But the the point I'm making is really um, you can slip it in in other ways. I think when I was, you know, in high school, when I was a teenager, I really thought like, I need to scold people and tell them what, you know, horrible misogynist they are. And, you know, after my teen years, I think a lot of teens do that Um, Uh and then evolve into having different ideas. And I remember at one point in college, it hit me. My perfect version of sending a feminist message would be an article that's so delicious that it would be both in People Weekly and in the New York Times. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really come into all of my work in media over the last many years. Pop culture feminism for the win. Yes. Yes. And so By the Book, for example, is a comedy reality show in audio form. But if you listen to every episode, you actually hear, oh, this is a show about intersectional feminism and about radical self-love and about decency and navigating the world with less self-loathing. And it's actually not about self-help books at all. Those are vehicles for us to send the messages out right. to the world that um, are more meaningful. I You talk about intersectional feminists and you talked about, uh, earlier you talked about diversifying the podcast space. Yes. And in a way, you're, you know, you're stealth because... Your name is Kristen Meinzer, <laughs> and you have this delightful Midwestern accent, and you work in audio, and people don't know that you are Asian. They make a lot of assumptions. So let's say you're somebody who wants to bring more diversity onto your show, and you should. Bringing diversity onto your show means bringing in larger audiences. It right. means bringing in different perspectives. It means more creativity. Multiple studies have been done that show that is your group gets more diverse, your ideas become more interesting. And mm-hmm. so everybody should be aiming to have more diverse content, no matter what, for the audience, for the better content, for all of the above. But I think that a lot of people don't feel comfortable Googling the words they're afraid to Google. So instead of trying to find a diverse guest to talk about astrophysics, they will just see, oh, who did the New York Times quote? I'll book that same person. You know who the New York Times booked? Another white dude. Right. So what you can do is look up 
black female physicists. There are actually associations for them. You can look up any search term you want to, mm -hmm. and then you can bring up fraternal organizations, sororities. You can bring up uh, nonprofit organizations that are working to elevate certain voices. But does it matter when it's in a, a totally vocal medium? Yes, it does. It absolutely matters because our identity is fully all of us. It's not just what people hear if they're mm -hmm. only barely listening. Mm -hmm. They will hear it in sense in the sense of perspective. Uh, the right. person who is your guest will bring it in lots of ways that you can't necessarily see. Mm -hmm. and, and also us elevating voices that don't get to be heard most of the time is, you know, it allows them to then be the next person, hopefully, that the New York Times will call. Yeah, 100. Right. Yeah, that's how I feel about hiring um, writers of color for the magazine. Like, it's not like you can tell the race of the person just by their name on the mm -hmm. byline, but it, it matters. Yeah, especially depending on the story that they're telling. Yes, right. absolutely. It definitely matters. Kristen, what are <laughs> your hopes, dreams, plans, what is your vision board looking like for the rest of 2019? Oh, wow. What a question. Well, we're only about five months away from Christmas, and I am a Christmas nut. So uh -huh. um, I am hoping that I have a really good Christmas. I'll start celebrating about usually in October. I love holidays. I love all sorts of holidays. I fixate on Christmas partly because I love made-for-TV Christmas movies. I'm a Christmas like Hallmark movie. Channels Ugh. and stuff? Hallmark, Ugh. Lifetime, all of them. My I mom them loves that me. stuff so much. So holidays, I'm looking forward to all the holidays. I'm looking forward to a couple of trips this year. My husband and I are going to New Zealand tomorrow. And then, of course, tomorrow. Yes, yes, to see his family um, for our annual trip. I'm really looking forward to my book coming out August 6th. So sorry if that sounds like a plug. And oh, oh no, plug away. I have a show, Jolenta Greenberg and I, we host by the book. We have another show, a spinoff show launching um, in mid-August called We Love You and So Can You. And it's a makeover show for your heart. So Aww. we're going to help people with little predicaments to maybe feel a little bit more well-equipped to do it Oh my God, you're going to gonna be like all. feminist queer eye? Kind of. <gasps> Can you give me just like a taste of some of the predicaments that you helped us solve? Well, I'll tell you about our debut episode. Okay. Um, the person in that episode uh, used to go to stand up uh, open mics and he would try to do comedy and it was something near and dear to him. And then he kind of stopped doing it for a while and he wants to get back out there and do it again. And we give him a bunch of assignments, um, a two-week prescription to help him through every insecurity he has so he can get back up on stage again. Wow. Mm -hmm. I can't wait. That's going to be great. Oh, thank you. We're excited about it. Well, before we let you go, we have to ask you what we ask all of our guests, which is what you watching. And when I say what you watching, I mean movies, TV, music, music videos. You already told us about podcasts. Yes. Anything pop culturally that you are consuming, we want to know about it. Because you're cool, and so that means what you're consuming is probably also cool. Sock it to me, Kristen Meinzer. I love The Farewell. <gasps> the Farewell. I love the Farewell. As somebody who just, I loved my Nana so much, I am very biased, I will admit. But any story with a grandmother who is, you know, um, the heart of the family, it just, oh. So I started crying about 15 seconds in, mm -hmm. and then I sobbed until the lights came back on. But so was everybody in my row and everybody else in the theater. There were, there were seats that were shaking because people were crying so hard. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, God. it was so good. And I love all grandma movies. So while we're at it, please also see Coco. Please also see Moana. Oh, mm. Please also see Grandma starring Lily Tomlin. Please, <laughs> please see all the grandma movies. We everybody see mom. the grandma movies. And remember that, you know, there are good grandmas, there are bad grandmas. But, you know, hopefully a lot of us who are trying to live decently in the world, it's because maybe a grandma's love is helping to push us forward in this world. Or a grandpa. I used to live with my grandpa. That's how I ended up at Bust Magazine. He was letting me live in his house while I interned at Bust Magazine, hoping to get hired one day. And I had all the grandpa feelings while watching it as well. Oh, good. Oh, yes. Yes. That, that's so sweet. I love your grandpa. Just, <laughs> just, from, just from hearing that little bit, I love your grandpa. <laughs> He's the best. He would wait up for me at night. Oh, I love him. Aww. Uh, what else are you watching? Oh, gosh. 
Um, I love a good Australian reality show. So, <laughs> I mean, the trashier, the better. One that I've enjoyed quite a bit is called Back With The Ex, which <gasps> they get people who maybe they had a high school sweetheart, somebody they were with a few years ago. They get them back together. And we so get to see. they make them live together? Oh, they make them do everything. Oh. It, do they have intercourse? Not necessarily that, but they do have to sleep in the same bed. Oh, like on Love Island. Uh-huh. <laughs> and oh boy, it's it's uh, dramatic. It's funny. You know that um, adage, it's called a breakup because it's broken? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Watching that show the whole time, I just thought, oh, it's called a breakup because it's broken. Or is it not? Oh. oh. I am so happy that you came to spend a few scant minutes chatting with us i feel like i could talk to you all day want to be friends in real life we are friends in real life (laughs) thank you so much for coming on the show and for being you and for being a paragon of podcasting wisdom lots of people are going to launch whole new careers because of you Oh, gosh, I hope so. And I can hardly wait to hear what everyone makes. Thank you so much for having me on, you guys. This was so fun. I really appreciate it. We're going to take the briefest of breaks. And when I come back, when we come back, I'm going to ask Callie. And Callie's going to ask me, what What you watching? Before we get back to the show, I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Wolfie Vibes Publicity. If you're working on a new project, and find yourself in need of a kick-ass publicist who communicates well and works tirelessly to get you the coverage you're after, consider going to Wolfie Vibes Publicity. Wolfie Vibes Publicity is a female-owned and operated boutique PR firm that will get you where you need to be. And you'll even have fun in the process. Get in touch via WolfieVibesPublicity.com for details and quotes. And tell them that Pop-Tart sent you. Uh, essentially I started it because every female comedian I know was amazing and hardworking and hilarious and I knew would make great podcasts and every male comedian I know already had a podcast and was doing their own thing. (laughs) Hi, I'm Kate Moldenhauer, the founder of More Banana Podcasts, a comedy podcast network entirely produced, hosted, and led by women. Do you want to hear awkward sex stories told with no judgment? Hi guys, welcome back at Awkward Sex in the City. I do dabble with around the booty and the butthole. Okay, I like the dabble around the booty phrase. Dabbling, eating, whatever you want to do. We're all sexual people, so like everybody, you know, has their thing. And it was introduced to me years ago, and I was like, oh shit, this feels good, you know? And uh, Do you secretly wish there was a show out there dedicated to studying bro culture? Hey everybody, welcome back to Sweet, A Lady's Guide to Bro Culture. One of, my, one of my favorite parts of the movie is that uh, Emily Ratajkowski has a crazy last name, but they still have to pronounce it every time. So it's a lot yes. of bros being like, oh, dude, Emily Ratajkowski, yeah. bro. <laughs> yeah, and they, oh, right. And even though the characters know her. What about a podcast for mental health and wellness that's hosted by two roller derby players? Welcome to Frau Pow, where your hosts, Auden Rags. I think it was by psychologists that they talk to people with anxiety and depression and that they tend to watch the same TV shows or movies over and over again. And it's like a self-soothing soothing action. Because women are actually pretty versatile and funny. More Banana is a network of women's voices, unfiltered and uninterrupted. Find us everywhere you get your podcasts and learn about our growing roster of shows at morebanana.com. we're back hello that was lovely i enjoyed speaking to Kristen very much flashback from og days i know she's she has uh been a mentor in my life and it's great that she's here she's a joy so callie without further ado i need to know what what you watching ah all right i talked about it last time and i cannot express that you need to watch the show enough years and years it years is. and years. Years and years. It's on HBO. It is a collab between BBC and HBO. It is so good and terrifying. It's I, I, It's really hard to explain without giving too many subplots, but or plot points away. There's a transhuman, uh huh, which is 
But she's coming out and her parents think she's transsexual. But she's like, oh, no, no. I'm transhuman. Uh huh. I want to be part computer. I want to upload my brain into the data. Into the cloud. I want fucking technology implanted in my body, which is so terrifying because Musk just was talking about how he wants people to get uh, computer chips into them so in they their can... eyes and stuff. Yeah, which... Semi spoiler, there is that sort of thing goes down, and of course, it's just like when new technology or new like body mods come about, and you don't properly research your doctor, or you you move too fast before technology is you know before the surgery has been tested, or you're just getting tire implant and then in your you're butt, a messed up tire implant in your butt, and your then you die. There's a lot of messed up butt implants out there. There's yeah. some some cement in people's butts. Yes. And so then, you know, take that kind of and then also people who want body modifications, they want to be at the forefront. So you combine those two and there's definitely going to be some kind of casualties. Terrifying. Yeah. That's not the only terrifying thing. I mean, it talks just about like what the world is going to be like if we keep on this trajectory with the environment. Uh, Brexit happens and Trump is back and then Pence is here and it all Boris Johnson it's fucking a terrifying dystopian it's like Black Mirror this is us and it's traumatizing mm. you need to watch it immediately we will discuss it next time <laughs> I think it's one of my, the best shows I've seen in a minute wow I think storyline you know like Black Mirror is good and all the only Black Mirror I really liked out of this season was the Miley Cyrus one I haven't gotten to that one yet. I haven't finished the season. Oh, the Miley Cyrus one is really the only one worth remembering. And oh, I love the first one with the video game. Oh, uh, it's okay. Sexual video yeah, game. I mean, that was all right. But this whole show is really, it's jarring. And it's its jarring because it could be fucking reality. Um, I watched this movie called The Bar, which is on Netflix. And it's a Spanish black comedy horror. Is it in Espanol? Yes, he's in Espanol, but sub subtitles because, you know, my dumbass doesn't speak Spanish. Um, These people are all in a bar like during the day and then a sniper kills somebody outside. <gasps> then the streets are fucking emptied and they have no idea what's going on. And it's all these people stuck in a bar. Then somebody runs out to try to, to help the guy that gets shot. He gets shot. <gasps> no. And so it's just all these people trying to fucking figure out. Then the government comes and you could tell that this is like a government plan and they're trying to exist without killing each other in the fucking these strangers in a bar. And they're trapped in the bar. Yeah. Oh, my God. It is really good. It was some good blood and it was pretty funny. I I enjoyed it. Um. Oh, I saw Always Be My Maybe. Worth it? I thought it was really boring. The only good part was Keanu Reeves. Slow walking. <laughs> I saw the... Uh the clip of Keanu and I was feeling those Keanu feelings. I mean, you know, rom-coms aren't my thing. So it was probably good to people that like rom-coms. I was bored to tears. I was literally just watching it. But I really Keanu. like Ali Wong. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the acting is good. I'm not going to throw any shade at that. Keanu, Keanu Reeves does a dreamy slow walk and that is worth it. How could he get hotter and hotter every year? Because he's a good person. Is that why? Yes. Do hot people? His soul is glowing from the inside out. That's Ugh. what I think. Mm, I watched the show Society on Netflix. It's these teens that are in a town and they're supposed to go on a camping trip. And then the buses break down. They go back to the town and all the adults are gone. <gasps> wow. And they're not quite adults. They're just high schoolers and they have to try to figure out how to live with everything gone it's it's okay it's weird like why is the electricity staying on you know like because the grid isn't a person the grid is the grid yeah but if you know people need to that's true people work there yeah, at the power station doing, like you know like i'm just like how it was okay it is nowhere near as good as years and years if you're gonna watch some dystopia go with years and years that sounds like the one and what are you watching i'm so glad you asked just a few things i caught up on Pose and The Handmaid's Tale. They're both giving me life. Oh my God, Pose. I'm just like laying in front of the air conditioner sobbing, basically, over both of them. They're so good. Um, there was an episode that focused on the character of Candy 
on Pose that was so amazing. Oh my God. I'm not giving any spoilers away. I'm just saying that the episode focuses on that one character. And the framing of the whole, that episode was impeccable. Chef kiss. It brought up so many feelings. Um, and the handmaid's tale, um, continues to be very suspenseful. The one thing that I um, really appreciated is that this season, finally we got some backstory on Aunt Lydia, which I've been wanting this whole time. I don't even know who I she's watching. She's so like um, the woman who like is the boss of all the handmaids. Man, I haven't watched it in, since we got Trump, probably. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think I stopped like two into season anyway, two. Anyway, it's, it's crucial to know who she is and the the episode of her backstory was very good and dowd who plays her is so good um she is uh one of my favorite sort of like she shows up on law and order like every few years or so and is always so memorable as like a person involved in a crime and uh she plays aunt lydia and is so good she won an Emmy. She's the best. I would love her to be on this show, and one day I'm going to make it happen. Are uh, you listening? And Dowd, hear my voice and know that I'm an admirer of yours, and I want you on the show. Okay. Um, also, Queer Eye is back. Feeling oh, feelings. I saw the first one where he goes to his fucking old Jonathan Van Ness goes back to his old Why school. Why am I not shocked he was a cheerleader? He was a boy cheerleader. So precious. He cried so much. And he went back and did cheers with their existing so cheer cute. squad. And he still had the moves. It was so cute. Yeah. Um, you know how I love uh, bad movies when they're so bad they're good, when, mm-hmm. they, when they go full circle. And I watched one on Amazon over the weekend called Night of the Demons. Mm. It's from 1988. It um, became a cult classic, even though at the time when it came out, all the it's one of those movies where like every reviewer in the world said it was the worst piece of crap ever. And yet it made like three million dollars opening weekend because the kids loved Night of the Demons. And so it actually spawned Night of the Demons 2 and Night of the Demons 3. Um, So I saw the Ridge, and it's I don't know about this movie. It's um, like I said, it's from 1988 and it's about high school seniors partying inside an abandoned funeral parlor. And they have a seance, of course, and they accidentally oops, release a demon, um, which begins to like hop into all the different people at the party. Oh, I was about to say what's the demon look like, but the demon is just a shapeshifter. No, well, you see the demon. The demon looks like a reject from Croft Superstars. I don't know if... not. I'm showing my age by saying it. Croft Superstars was like a 70s, late 70s, early 80s puppet. It's like... Is it 90s charm? Like, the demon looks like a prototype of Terry from Pee-wee's Playhouse. It's really not that scary. But it is Terry the chair? No, Terry the pterodactyl. Oh, (laughs) I was thinking Terry the chair. No. It looks like (laughs) if someone covered Terry from Pee-wee's Playhouse in hot glue, basically, until it got all drippy and bony and weird. Oh, that sounds like Poultry Guys, the trauma (laughs) movie. But it is scary when the demon goes into the people and they start looking like Thriller. There was some definite thriller ripoffs and in their their demonic makeup. And I think probably my favorite part of the film was there is like the goth girl in all of her gothique finery and she gets possessed and dances to Bauhaus conservatively for 10 minutes. <laughs> like she's in her stuff, she's wearing goth and is she slow dancing lingerie? And so she's, she's doing maybe five moves. Like <laughs> she's clearing the cobwebs and she's picking the apples, but then she takes it down to the floor and she does, you know, like Madonna's roll on the floor when she was did like a virgin at the MTV Movie Awards. So it was like that, but it was to Bauhaus and she was on the floor of an abandoned uh, funeral parlor in front of the fire in like a black wedding dress, rolling around and like showing her butt cheeks. For 10 minutes is just like Peter Murphy up, down, and all around. It was very gratuitous, and I enjoyed it. Also, there is a black guy in it, and going against all tropes, the black guy survives. In 88. In 88, and he is the only person of color. Oh, no, no, no. There's an Asian girl, too. 
it, you know, there's plenty that I'm not giving away, but it's, I think it's great that the black guy survives. He lives to see another day. And, um, that was another reason to love night of the demons. <laughs> um, I also wanted to tell you that I continue to read the Harry Potter books and then watch uh, the yes. movie after each book. Since the last time I spoke to you, I finished Harry Potter book four goblet of fire and watched the movie book four was a very ambitious tome because two other whole wizarding schools show up at Hogwarts because they're having a tri-wizard tournament they're going up at the best teen wizards from all of the different three schools go up against each other in a tournament that's very very dangerous that teens should not be participating in at all but they are because like being a wizard is dangerous. You have to deal with it. Um, I was delighted when I went from the the book version to the film version to see that uh, the hot, young, triwizard champion Cedric Diggory was played by none other than Robert Pattinson, the sparkly vampire from Twilight. Ooh. He was there pre-Twilight. Pre-Sparkles, he's all like 18 years old and looking all fresh. Oh, I had no idea he was in that. Competing in physical sport. Hmm. And I was like, mm-hmm. I wasn't being gross about it, but I appreciated it. Oh, he's 18. He was of age. Yeah. And he was just on the cusp of becoming a, a, a heartthrob for the world. And that is what I've been watching. Wow, this has been great. I want to thank our producers, Kate Moldenauer and Jesse Karen at More Banana Productions. I want to thank our luscious audio engineer, Logan Del Fuego. Muy caliente. Thank you, Logan. And, of course, I want to thank our girl gang at Bust Magazine. You can find me on the socials, on Twitter, at Emily Rems. You cannot find Callie. On Twitter, don't even try. How our president lives there. I don't go there. <laughs> uh, but you can email us both. I'm at emilyrems at bust.com. Callie W at bust.com. And you can learn more about the show at bust.com slash Pop-Tarts. And finally, please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. It's what Kristen Meinzer, the queen of all podcasts, yes. would want you to do. Um, and you know, anything that she wants you to do is probably the right thing to do. <laughs> yeah. So you should do it. It really helps us get the word out and we super duper appreciate it until next time. Mwah. Mwah.